Hey everyone, welcome back to the Westbridge Church Podcast. To learn more about Westbridge Church, including our service times, visit us online at westbridgedanville.com. This week's message comes from Pastor John McDougall, and we hope it encourages you to take your next step in your faith journey. Thanks, Justin. Worship team. Well, good morning, church family. Good to, good to see you today, and, and I hope you're having a wonderful weekend. This is a great time of year, isn't it? I love the uh, school is out. Kids, are we, are we excited? The rest of, no, sorry, Amelia, you, you just want to be in school. At a girl. <laughs> but the rest of the summer is just out in front of us, and uh, there's something at Hoosierland about race day, too. I, I don't know if you guys feel this, but what a, uh, a fun time. I know our own... Uh, Sally uh, Stewart, who shared a couple weeks ago, her brother is the president of the, the Speedway, Doug Bowles, and so we have some vested interest, but um, just a wonderful time of year, and then just fun family memories, and hope you're having those. I was thinking back, I had the privilege of growing up in this town, in this church, and one of my favorite Memorial Day memories was as an elementary kid, the minute that the service let out, my job was to light the fire for our grill to get the, uh, the, the grill going, the Weber, and dad would cook up this special Cornell chicken recipe that was so good. So I would fly out the door, hop on my little blue bike, and my goal was to get down Mackey Road and make it to the bridge before the first person from church passed me. And, and often, often I could do it, and, but then climbing up that hill, I was, it was over. The race was over. But, but, uh, and then um, to have that Cornell chicken ready to go, sitting around as a family, for um, as, as Mario Andretti and A.J. Foyt and Rick Mears were making their first laps. Just a wonderful memory. And so, but then as I look back, and I know time, you think, hey, that's normal, right? But realize, no. Um, those precious memories and ordinary memories of, of living life in a country of, where we have this freedom and we can worship together and enjoy life together come at a high, high cost and just Good to remember, as Kyle mentioned, and honor those who serve us in the military, but who have also given their lives, and, and ultimately thank God for His goodness on us. As we think about race day, I, I think it's also good, we're, we're on a mission, we're going somewhere as a church, good time to just, hey, what is our mission, and where are we going, and they say mission leaks or vision leaks out of our soul, so just quick reminder, we are here, we exist as a church family, we sum it up this way, to help one another become fully devoted followers of Jesus Christ for the glory of God. Which raises the next question, what's a fully devoted follower of Jesus look like? And we talk about five words, somebody who is worshiping him, loving him with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. Someone who is, um, the second word is reach, but living with compassion for those who may not know him. And we talk about having one life that, uh, that we're praying for, and, and many of us will have more, but, but just uh, reaching out with compassion to people who don't know him is why we're here. We talk about the word uh, connect, and God created us to connect in loving relationships with each other and with his love, that agape love. And so doing life together in small group and community. And then we talk about the fourth word is grow, and it's um, this journey of growing in our faith as we learn about who God is and uh, who we are and what he's called us to through a daily meeting with him and his word and then uh, talking with him throughout the day in prayer. And then we, the fifth word is serve, that we are living lives of service with the humility of Christ. And 
the way of the church, the way of his kingdom is different than the world. It's not, leadership is not, you know, get to that power place and then everyone serves you. Leadership in his kingdom is to uh, use what he's given us to serve those around us. And so that's the journey we're, that we're on. The vision is what happens when you get a group of people who are pursuing that. And remember, um, our goal is not perfection, it's maturity. It's that word teleon in the Greek. We want to be mature in Christ. Perfection is impossible to heaven, but we can live mature. Like we can live it at a place of healthy soul fitness as followers of Jesus. And when we get a bunch of people who are pursuing soul fitness, you get what? And we, we talk about an outpost of heaven on earth. And just beautiful picture of, of God doing his, what he desires to do in us and through us for his glory. And, and that's been happening. Thank you, church family, for the part that you're playing in that. If you don't have a church home, we'd love, we, we've got a spot for you and uh, would love to have you join with us. But but the way that we are, each Sunday that we gather, that, that we're equipped is through God's word. And, and this summer we've been, or uh, spring, really winter, spring, we've been working through the book of Acts. And we're going to continue, actually, all the way through end of July. But uh, today we are, we're moving into a, a passage that I'm really excited about. And the, uh, to set the scene, it's a foundational passage in Scripture that really helps us understand um, our faith and our practice, and, and important. There are some things that will come out of this that are really important. It reminded me of a time that I had the opportunity to help lay a foundation. Larry Mahan, brother up here, appreciate his ministry in the uh, the booth. This guy has the had the idea. What if I go to Spencer, Indiana, beautiful part of our country, buy a plot of ground? I don't know, ten acres or so, clear a space dig a, a foundation and build a house, but with his own two hands. Now, he had construction experience and expertise, but he did that a couple of years ago. And so he cleared the land and was like, man, this is amazing you're doing this, Larry. Can I jump in on the fun? He was like, yeah, you can help me lay the foundation. So the footers had been dug, so a, a trench outlining the house, and the cement truck came back down into that woods, and then Larry's sitting in his blue tractor. The cement trump was, truck was dumping concrete into that the, uh, the tractor, and then Larry, then I would, he would dump it into the trench, and I'd shovel it out. So my job is basically just shovel it out and then bring the concrete up to where, you know, Larry had marked out where it should be. So we were just cruising around the house laying this footer, this foundation. When Larry turned it off at one point, the tractor jumped off, and he grabbed a shovel, and he started tweaking some of my work. And, and I'm like, okay, I was an inch off maybe. It's, what's an inch? And I'm watching him. He's giving me my lesson, you know. And, and as he gets, goes to get back on the uh, tractor, he could read my mind. <laughs> and he said, hey, the foundation has got to be right because if, if, if we're off a little bit here, the whole house is going to be off. Lesson learned. I, I still think about that. Today we watch our Lord build his church. And as we read through Acts, this is God doing his work. And it's a beautiful thing to watch. But there are some things that must be right. If, if we get these wrong, the whole house, our life, our practice will be off. We see it here in the early church, and it's Acts 15. We're going to watch, make three observations that, that really inform our faith and practice today. So important. There's the first observation there that we'll, or we'll discover three things. One is something to see, something to believe, 
and then something to do. Something to see, something to believe, and then something to do. So if you would join me in Acts chapter 15, verse 1. Luke writes, certain people came down from Judea, so the Jerusalem area, to Antioch. And remember, Antioch was that church birthed in where East meets West, a Gentile church. And they were teaching the believers, unless you are circumcised, according to the custom taught by Moses, you cannot be saved. So remember, circumcision was what the the sign that God gave way back in Genesis chapter 17 to Abraham to be the, be the sign of his people. As you come in, into a relationship with God, you would be circumcised. So these people, the Christians from Judea, are coming to Antioch and saying, unless you are circumcised, you cannot be saved. What? Are you telling us that in order to be saved, to receive the salvation that Jesus came to offer... We have to be circumcised? Now, now, this has radical implications theologically and practically. Is this, can this be right? To which they would say, oh yeah, th- this is the bare minimum. We're just getting started. We're, we're going to carry on with, it, with the rest of what Moses said. To say it another way, guys, what, what they're saying is to be a true Christian. So, to be a true Christian, you must first become like a Jew. Is this right? It's a legitimate question, isn't it? And I think it raises a question for us as, as most of us here are Gentile Christians. How can you come to faith in Christ, believe in Him, and then completely ignore all the revelation that God's given us in the Old Testament? The law of Moses and all these requirements, and especially if you're a Jew, I mean, you've ordered your entire life around these things. This is the Word of God. We still believe the Old Testament is the Word of God. So how do we as a Gentile relate to the Old Testament? And must we be circumcised and keep the law of Moses, i.e., the the Old Testament Genesis through Malachi, in order to be saved? Well, what we're watching here is really, you can't hear it, but it is a massive collision of cultures, Jew and Gentile. And if you're watching this from the outside and you're putting some money on this, you're a betting person, you're laying your money right now saying, my money is on the fact that this is going to blow up. This new thing that is called the church, it's going to, right here is where you can plant the tombstone for Christianity. There is no way you're going to get people who are all in with the law and have ordered their lives according to the law of Moses and these Gentiles who have known nothing of the law, these two radically different people sitting around a table doing life together as brother and sister, it ain't happening. This is, this is over if you're looking at this from the outside. The church is teetering on what, what from a human perspective would be the brink of extinction as they enter this this debate. So what happens? Verse 2 says, this brought Paul and Barnabas, and remember they planted the church there in Antioch. This brought them into sharp dispute and debate with them. It's literal, the word dispute there is literally the word revolt, or it's used as uh, like a, a rebellion. 
So Paul and Barnabas were appointed along with some other believers to go up to Jerusalem to see the apostles and elders about this question. So this is a big enough deal that the church says, all right, guys, we're going to send you, and, and this is going to be a, a group discussion. Interesting, I, I love the picture of the church being team. Paul and Barnabas go up there. Other believers went with them. And notice that uh, earlier in Acts, it's only the apostles doing much of the teaching and much of the directing. But in this text, it's the apostles and elders, the elders being the leaders of the church. So we see the leadership structure changing a little bit here. And then verse 3, the church sent them on their way. So here we see the body of Christ as a whole, as a corporate. We're a church that is congregationally governed. And, And the reason is we believe it. It's not about any one person or any group of people, but rather the Spirit of God moving us together as a community. You see that happening here. The church sent them on their way, and as they traveled through Phoenicia and Samaria, they told how the Gentiles had been converted. This news made all the believers very glad. When they came to Jerusalem, they were welcomed by the church and the apostles and the elders. There we see the apostles and elders together again, to whom they reported everything God had done through them. Verse 5, here comes the tension point in the text. Then, and you can just feel they're reporting all that God's doing. And again, notice God's doing the work. Everyone's excited. They're glad, happy. Until, (laughs) then, some of the believers. Now, notice these are Christians, guys. This is not an outside group. This is within the church. Some of the believers who belong to the party of the Pharisees. So, Pharisees get a somewhat of a bad rap in the Gospels, but these are all in people for God. They are educated, they're smart, they're committed, devoted. They stood up and said, and notice the tone of their, what they say. They're not saying, we have a suggestion for the council, or we'd like to make a recommendation. Notice what they say. The Gentiles must be circumcised and required to keep the law of Moses. It's like, this has to happen. This is one of those moments I can just imagine Peter thinking to himself, oh, Jesus, I just wish you were here in person right now, because <laughs> this is going to be hard, you know, and isn't it interesting, God leaves us to, to work through some really hard things, and I think he does that, really, to help us rely on him, but also, it's part of our witness, as we do work through hard things together. We know Jesus promised that he would be with us, he would help us through these things, but This is a tough one. It's interesting to me, too, that even the most devoted people still have blind spots, which that would be all of us, isn't it? The the Pharisees, they want to do what's right. I'm pretty sure this is from good intentions, but they're missing it, what God is doing. And that brings us to our first observation, which is this. It's something to see a new thing is happening. What we're watching is the church awakening to the realities of life under a new covenant or a new promise from God. We have the benefit of the New Testament writings today. We have uh, 2,000 years of looking back on this and figuring this out. But if you're a Jew right now, this is tough. You know, you can understand how they're struggling to, to make sense of how can a Gentile believe in Christ and yet just not include all these 
all, all the law, starting with circumcision, but then the, there was a ceremonial law in terms of how we worshiped, and there was a, a dietary law in terms of what we eat, and there's the, the moral law, much of which carries on into the New Testament. But, but how can we, um, how can it be okay for the Gentiles not to do what we have been doing? But what we know and what, through the teaching of Christ, the teaching of the apostles, is that with the coming of Christ, a new thing is happening. Foundational to this is the reality that there is a new revelation from God in Christ. Hebrews chapter 1, verses 1 to 3 says, In the past, God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets at many times and in various ways. But in these last days, and the last days are what we're in, He has spoken to us by His Son, through whom He appointed all things, heir of all things, and through whom He also made the universe. The Son is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of His being, sustaining all things by His powerful word. After He had provided purification from sins, or for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven. So the question today for us, and this is huge in terms of our life, our faith and practice, how do we as Gentiles relate to the Old Testament, the law of Moses? Do, do you need to be circumcised? Um, should we avoid eating bacon? <laughs> um, and put all these laws of the Old Testament into practice today. And what we know is when Christ came, we received new revelation from God. Therefore, as we interpret the Old Testament, it's through the lens of the life of Christ, the teaching of Christ, and the teaching of the apostles. The Old Testament, is it valuable to us then? Is it useful to us? And is it still the Word of God? Absolutely. In fact, I would argue since Christ, the Old Testament has become even more precious to us in that we see Christ in the Old Testament. Our faith grows as we look and we watch the big story of God's redemptive plan playing out and we see picture after picture of Christ in the Old Testament. We see the prophecies that predict Christ being fulfilled and it builds our faith. We watch God work with his people and be gracious to them and it makes us so thankful for the covenant that we're in, the covenant of grace. We, uh, we get to pray the prayers that Jesus prayed in the Psalms, prayers that are still um, powerful to, to be used by God to, to change us and, and to transform us into the image of Christ. And so, but, but what's important to know is today and for us is to see this clearly and to understand this in our, our, our faith journey that a new thing is happening in the church Jesus ushered in a new covenant with his sacrifice. Remember when we take communion, we say, we remember what he said, with this cup, a new covenant is being made in my blood. He said, what about the old covenants to Abraham and to uh, Moses and to David? All of those old covenants are fulfilled in Christ. In Christ, we become a new creation. Under the old covenant, nothing happened to the person internally, soul-wise, Today, when we come to faith in Christ, we are a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. So God changes us inside and he, through his spirit, puts his law on our hearts so that um, he teaches us. And still we need the word of God, but, but yet he helps us understand it. He illuminates it to us. And then he actually helps us live it out. When we um, veer from his word, he grieves us internally, calls us back, and he changes us, transforms us to be like Christ. New creations 
we, we are here to accomplish an old mission in a new way. And we take the gospel, the good news of Christ, and together we, we share that with the nations. And so the challenge for us today, the question that I would invite you to ask, am I seeing this new thing that's happening? Do I see it clearly? And if not, I'd encourage you to dig in and, and seek to understand this clearly. Do we understand the day and the age in which we're living? Do we understand the incredible benefits of living in the age of grace, under this new covenant of grace? Do we understand the treasure of the indwelling Holy Spirit in our hearts? And are we living in just step-by-step communion and reliance upon Him? Do we understand how the law of Moses, like the Old Testament, was not meant to save us, to be a moral code by which we worked our way to God, but rather it was meant to reveal our need for a Savior, our sinfulness, and the fact that God is holy, and we can never, through our efforts and through our law, work our way to God. Do we understand that, that uh, what God is doing in this new day, and under the new covenant, in reconciling sinful people to himself, Jew and Gentile and every other nation, and reconciling us to one another all for his glory. Like, this is happening in real time. And am I living in the, seeing that and living in the joy of that and then playing the part in that that God would have me play? I believe today what we need as a church is a fresh vision of the beauty of the body of Christ. In a day of division, a day where fractures are happening in our cultures, division after division, that, that we as the body of Christ are not divided, we are one. And we see that in this text being lived out and played out. But may we play our part in this and and treasure this reality that's happening in real time, the beauty of his church. So the first observation as we watch this scene play out is um, something to see. A new thing is happening. The second observation we see in the next part, what does that How do they respond to what these guys are saying about the law of Moses? Well, picking it up in verse 6. It says, the apostles and the elders met to consider this question, and after much discussion, (laughs) thankfully Luke sums it up here for us, I'm sure this was a long discussion, Peter got up and addressed them. Now, this is the last time we'll see Peter in the book of Acts, symbolizing the gospel is now going to go out to the Gentiles, and Paul and Barnabas and others will be the main leaders in this, but man, what a... What a moment for Peter. I love this, um, what he shares here. Do you remember when Jesus said, um, come to me all you who are weary and burdened, take, um, take my yoke upon you and learn from me for I'm gentle and humble of, of heart. The context was, the yoke that Jesus was talking about was his teaching. And the context was under the law of Moses and the religious leaders of the day wearing them out with the law. And I feel like this is Peter's version of that teaching from Jesus. As it says, he said this, brothers, you know that some time ago God made a choice among you that the Gentiles might hear from my lips the message of the gospel and believe. God who knows the heart showed that he accepted them by giving them the Holy, the Holy Spirit to them just as he did to us. He did not discriminate between us and them for he purified their hearts by faith. Now then, why do you try to, to test God? And this is a, a very uh, bold confrontation. It's, it comes out of Exodus 17, but where to test God was a, a very serious thing. And it's basically saying God's going this way and you're trying to 
to go the other way. Why do you test God? By putting on the necks of Gentiles a yoke. So it's that metaphor of a, what would go on oxen as they would plow a field, that yoke, but it's used in this as well to refer to a rabbi's teaching. So the law of Moses is what he's talking about. Why do you put this, this yoke on the necks of Gentiles that neither we nor our ancestors have been able to bear? And then here comes the line to believe and remember. We, no, we believe it is through the grace of our Lord Jesus that we are saved just as they are. <laughs> I, I, out to the side of my, in my Bible, I wrote, this is the ah of salvation. <laughs> it's just like, no, 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 no. Jesus came not to, to call us to, to do, 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 do. He came and he did for us what we could not do, live the perfect life. And it's grace. And he said, you are saved not by what you do, by simply believing that what I did was enough. And I died in your place on the cross. We are saved by grace alone. It's not by what we do. Grace, you say, what, what is that? And it's undeserved favor. Grace is something that we don't deserve, that we cannot earn. And it, it goes against our natural bent as humans. We want to earn, don't we? We're, we're wired for law. We, we just want to go back to earning God's favor and being enough. And at the root of that is self, often self-righteousness and just to feel good about ourselves. But the only way to be right with God, forgiven of our sin, and enter into this precious relationship and then given eternal life, a forever relationship with our God, is through the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. <laughs> Can I get, does anybody else just want to say amen and go back floating in the ocean of his grace? And that brings us to the second observation in this text that is just central to the foundation of our faith, and it is this. It's something to believe. We are saved through the grace of our Lord Jesus. The question for us today is, do you believe this? Do you believe this? Again, I, I think our default mode, I, I, sometimes I, I'm concerned every once in a while when I hear casual conversation with somebody say, hey, are you going to go to heaven? And like, yeah, I hope, I hope so. I hope I've done enough. And it's like, no, 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 no. <laughs> we will never do enough. But Christ has done enough. Therefore, we can be certain. First John, um, the book is written to assure us that we can be certain. If our faith is in Jesus Christ and his grace poured out to us, we can know that we will go to heaven. We have received eternal life, but it is through his grace. Do you believe that? Today, I don't want to assume we all have, and I, if you haven't come to that point where you've heard the good news that Jesus died for you, that God loves you and has made a way for you to be forgiven, I invite you to receive that, to believe that, to trust, trust, bank your life, your eternal life on that. And if you need help understanding what that means, would love to walk with you and, and help you in that. Why not today? I would plead with you to, to be right with God today. This week has been a, a heavy one for our country as we have grieved along with the 21 families who, who lost loved ones in the school shooting and, and uh, our hearts just ache for them. Uh, we feel our, our nation rage at these kinds of senseless 
crimes and, and shootings and we want to stop this, and, and rightly so, we need to stop it and figure out how to stop it. But as I was reflecting on this text and thinking about uh, scrolling through the pictures of each victim, it occurred to me that there's one thing we cannot stop. And no amount of political change, no amount of safety precautions, we cannot stop the onslaught, onslaught of death. Every one of us will have a picture unless the Lord comes back and we will be dead. And it just brings to mind the importance of, guys, what matters most is dealing with this, the problem of death that Christ came to deal with, but have we, have we received the gift of salvation? Life is precious, it's brief, and we don't know. And I would just challenge each one of us, if you have not come to faith in Christ, to make that decision today to receive him and the rest of us to be thinking about that as we go about our lives, as we, right now the police are um, being held to account for not being on their A game in that situation, and I thought about myself, you know, and I want to be on my A game and sharing the message of Christ, not delaying with those around me, and love what our church is doing. I know as a church family, we've, um, we're entering this season of of uh, being able to share Christ in some really neat ways and creative ways through things like day camp and summer fest, an opportunity to invite friends to our church family to hear the gospel. Our softball league is another opportunity where, you know, get together around sport, something that we love, and just do life together, but hopefully share Christ with those around us. I was thinking about um, just the beauty of God's grace and his gospel, and it's something that we, we believe. It's also something we celebrate, isn't it? Every Sunday we gather in this place just to celebrate his grace that has been poured out on us, to say, thank you, Lord. But then it's also something that we're called to guard. And, and Paul calls Timothy as he's getting ready to die. Timothy, guard this good deposit with the help of the Holy Spirit. Protect it and praise God for people like Paul and Barnabas who stood up to people who were seeking to, to, to uh, tweak the gospel. If you were the devil, what would you do if you were trying to stop God's work in the world today? If you were the devil, where would you aim your fiercest artillery? The gospel. So it's, it's happening right here in the first century. And it's not coming from people outside. It's coming from within the church. Praise God for Paul, for Barnabas, for Peter, for James, others who, who uh, guarded the gospel. Praise God for Martin Luther and Zwingli and Calvin and the other reformers. In 1517, October 31st, Martin Luther took a stand against the church that had drifted from grace. They were back to we are saved, justified by what we do. And he hammered those 95 theses up on a door in Wittenberg in Germany. Took a stand. The, Re the Reformation happened. We, and we're out of that line of Protestants. But really, what was the main thing? The gospel. We are saved by faith alone, through Christ alone, according to the scriptures alone, and for the glory of God alone. Saved by grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. And so, um, may we believe this. May we celebrate the gospel. May we guard it, and then may we give it away as we're called to do. All right. 
And then the third observation that we see in this text flows out of the, the following, the response of the group. What happens? How does the group respond to Peter's uh, words and it. We see it in verse 12. It says, The whole assembly became silent as they listened to Barnabas and Paul telling about the signs and wonders that God had done among the Gentiles through them. When they finished, James, so James is the brother of Jesus, the, one of the key leaders in the church there in Jerusalem representing the Jews. He, he spoke up. He said, Brothers, he said, Listen to me. Simon, speaking of Peter, has described to us how God first intervened to choose a people for his name from the Gentiles. The words of the prophets are in agreement with this, as it is written. So he's looking to the Old Testament as confirmation of, of what Peter's saying. It says, the prophets are checking out. He gives one example out of Amos. He says, this is from Amos. After this, I will return and rebuild David's fallen tent. Its ruins I will rebuild and I will restore it, that the rest of mankind may seek the Lord, even the Gentiles who bear my name says the Lord, who does these things, things known from long ago. So here's James' conclusion. It is my judgment, therefore, that we should not make it difficult for Gentiles who are turning to God. Instead, we should write them, telling them to abstain, and he lists four things, from food polluted by idols, from sexual immorality, from meat strangled, uh, the meat of strangled animals, and from blood. For the law of Moses has been preached in every city from the earliest times and is read in the synagogues on every Sabbath. So what's the point of that last line? It's basically in every city there are Jews, Jewish Christians who will be worshiping with Gentile Christians. So it's, it's, this is our advice to the churches in this time as they do life together. So the first or third observation, this is something for us to do, and it is this. If they worked through that, we can work through this. <laughs> if they work through that huge issue, we can work through this. This represents whatever is threatening to create disunity between you and another follower of Jesus. It may be unity within your family, within your marriage within a parent-child relationship, extended family, it may be within your small group or within our church family, if they worked through that issue with the help of the Lord, we can work through whatever issue we're going through. I, I love, I, this picture, I think, just should inspire us, encourage us, and motivate us to pursue the unity that, that Jesus died to give us and lives to sustain as we work through our issue. The lie of the enemy is you can't get through this. Cut and bail, cut and bail, cut and bail. Can't get through it. But, but our witness, guys, I think this, Jesus prayed that we would be one. Our mission hinges on our, our oneness. And I believe the world sees something different when he sees a church who is committed to working through their issues. Is it easy? No. <laughs> think about all the, Paul and Barnabas in a group, a small group, had to travel 250 miles back in that day down to Jerusalem to sit in a meeting that went <laughs> way longer than uh, any of them wanted to, to go through to somehow listen to all these people weigh in and then get to a conclusion. But you know what? They got to it, didn't they? God, Jesus, in the way that he does it, helped them work through it. And I can just testify, I've seen this happen again 
and again and again in his church. And it's beautiful, isn't it? A group of radically different people, deeply passionate about different things, seeing at odds, but come together and we're praying this. Jesus, would you be obviously present, actively in charge? Would you bring us into harmony with your will and with one another? And start with changing me where I need to change. Guys, I'm telling you, I've seen this in marriages. If struggling with marriage, struggling in in a relationship, if we will come and invite him into our presence or, or welcome him into our presence and surrender to his lead, he helps us through whatever this is that's threatening to divide us. We must never lose hope of this. You may be thinking, hey, John, wait a minute. Why do they have to abstain from food polluted by idols, sexual morality, and meat strangled from animals? Sexual morality is not contextual. It's part of the moral code that will be continued into the New Testament. But these other three are from the law. If we're not under the law, why, do I, why can't I eat bacon? <laughs> and the answer is, we see the new command that Jesus has given us, the new command of love one another as I have loved you, at play here. It's sacrificially putting others first, even their preferences So if I'm a Gentile and we're having our small group and we really want to have BLTs, but we know that our Jewish brother, if he comes in and he sees bacon or smells bacon, it's going to grieve his spirit. He can't eat that because he never has been able to. It's been wrong for him. Then we're going to skip BLT and we're going to order (laughs) Chick-fil-A. We're going to have chicken. Why? I'll gladly give a sigh, quit quit eating bacon with my brother if if it helps him because I love him. What's it communicating? You matter more than my view. As one pastor said, quote, um, and it's the, the way of love. How do we survive the collision of cultures, the collision of generations, the collision of political views? And there is only one way. And that is as we surrender to the one who is our head, the one who leads us. And we pursue unity with one another. And what a, what a hope-giving picture this is for us. If they got through that, how much more can we get through this? This we must do. And so bringing it all together, what a, a, uh, just a, a beautiful picture of our Lord. God is building his church, and he's laying the foundation. Three things that we must see or must know, three important observations. And the first is something to see. A new thing is happening. This is different. And so um, we, we see the old through Christ and through the new. Second observation, something to believe. This is core to our faith. We are saved through the grace of our Lord Jesus. And then third observation, something to do. If they worked through that, we can work through this. Let's do it. Let's be his church. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Father, we uh, just... Thank you that we can come into your presence now and approach the throne of grace through our Lord and Savior and what he did for us on the cross. And today, Lord, as we see you building your church, it's just a beautiful picture for us and an encouragement to us to to treasure the grace in which we stand. And Lord, we, uh, we just kneel at the cross right now and remember that That we are not saved by our good deeds, but we are saved by your grace. Lord, I thank you for the past grace that you've poured out. I thank you for the present grace that you're pouring out today. Even just the beauty of this day, this weekend, to be worshiping here together. And 
But Lord, we, we also just celebrate the, the future grace that you have promised, the glorious riches of your grace that we cannot even imagine. The beauty and the wonder and the joy of the days to come. As we enjoy life with you, thank you. Lord, we, uh, we pray that we would be faithful in sharing this good news, sharing the gift of your grace. And as a church family, we look ahead, we see we're excited about uh, this summer and summer fest and the opportunity to celebrate life together. But Lord, we just pray that you would bring people who may not know you through our softball league as well, day camp with kids, Lord, that may not know you, that, that many would hear of your, your grace, put their trust in you. Lord, we pray for uh, those in our church family today who may be struggling and just know it's been a, a wonderful week for some, but a hard week for others. I think of uh, Chet and Pat Skorkin as Pat's dad passed away this week and just pray continued comfort for them and for their family. Think of, uh, do celebrate, Lord, with Brad and Amy Warland and the arrival of little Nella and just praise you for her life and for safety and coming into our world think of the bloomer family this week lord and thank you so much for for them and what they mean to us and as bill goes back down to brazil we just pray blessing over him as he wraps up um, loose ends but more importantly as he just builds into refuge church again and, and encourages our brothers and sisters there and uh, makes connections with people and just pray that you would be with him and, and with martha and the kids this week to come Lord, we're uh, thankful for the chance just to enjoy the simple gifts of life, whether that be barbecue today or taking a walk in the beauty of your creation, watching the race, and just uh, it's so good, Lord, to know you and to walk with you. We do pray blessing over the race today, safety for all those who are there and our friends and families that are there. It's a wonderful day. Lord, we do pray blessing over our nation, that you would unite us around what is most important. Lord, that your church in our nation would be strong, that we would be present, that we would be salt and light. Lord, we pray not that our nation would be great, but that our nation would be good. God, that you would raise up leaders who unite us around freedom. Freedom not just for us, but freedom throughout this world. And ultimately, though, Lord, we know that our hope is not in any nation here, our hope is in our King. And Jesus, we pray that you would come soon. But in the meantime, keep us faithful to you. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. If you were encouraged by today's talk and believe it would be helpful for others, please be sure to subscribe or share. To experience other messages or find helpful resources, visit us online at westbridgedanville.com.